כתוב פרק, אני כבר לא זוכר איזה פרק, אני חושב שאנחנו פרק 236, פרק מאוד מיוחד, מה שאנחנו הולכים להקליט עכשיו. הרבה אנשים שאוהדים את ה-NFL שאלו אותי, מה יקרה עם ה-NFL בגלל הקורונה? אז אני מנסה להביא את התשובה עכשיו משרה הרמן, שהיא המנהלת הדיגיטלית של ה-NFL, ואיתנו על הקו גם כתבנו באטלנטה, ג'ורג'ה, רועי שושן, אז הפודקאסט הזה הולך להיות באנגלית, אני מקווה שתאזינו בכל מקרה, ותסבלו אנגלית קצת, מה, מה קרה, מה קרה. אז יאללה, אנחנו עוברים עכשיו לשרה. היי, שרה, איך אתה? היי, אני עושה טוב, תודה רבה שאתה מבין אותי, ותודה רבה שאתה מבין אותי באנגלית, אני מבין אותך. איך אתה היברו? אולי אנחנו נשמח. היי, ריצ'לי כל כך... That's it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm getting better. I, I can tell you in, in uh, the home isolation and quarantine, I'm, I'm practicing my Hebrew a little bit more. So um, one day we'll come back, we'll do a podcast in Hebrew. But today, I appreciate the English version. Uh, I'm going to take your word for it. So <laughs> one year from now, podcast in Hebrew. Rabbi uh, Shushan, how, how's your Hebrew? עברית שלי בסדר. רונן. אומייגן, רונן. לא, זה מצחיק להיות פה אחרי השבועות, ותודה על שאתם מבינים את שתיהם. אני חושב שזו תהיה דיסקושיה מאוד 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 Sure. So I am currently a digital media manager at the NFL. It's my, uh, just finished my fourth season with the league, uh, working on a team called Club Media Group. And we work directly with all 32 NFL digital teams. So those are the people that are responsible for um, writing content, managing their websites, managing the mobile app, uh, connected TV, if any of them have a presence on that platform, um, and helping with content strategies and priorities and initiatives across all of their digital properties. So um, across, I mean, I focus with, on, on some clubs in particular, but then work across all 32 in other things, but just helping them develop um, and push their initiatives um, across many different avenues. So, so what's the day look, what your day look like, uh, looks like, uh, you know, during uh, regular time? So no day, uh, no two days are the same for me because clubs have different issues, questions, or things that arise. We do have best practices that we can share because many clubs have the same questions or issues, but they all are in different markets. So something that might work for Seattle might not work for Tampa or something that works for one of the two clubs in New York might not work for Kansas City. They still might have some of the same questions of how to drive traffic to their website or how to engage fans when you have a losing season. Or um, this is the first year we've made the Super Bowl. What type of content resonates with fans? Working with them across different strategies um, for ways to engage their fans um, are the types of things that my team works on. Um, but day-to-day, -day we'll, 
our football week is Tuesday through Monday. So uh, we work with them on analytics to see what type of content resonated the week before. Uh, should they change anything moving forward um, for their next week? How should they allocate their resources? Um, and then just the, the best type of content that, that their fans are craving. Roy, do you have anything to ask or to add? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I always looked for as a fan, you know, it seems that different teams gives you different content. Uh, so I was always wondering if there's like a across the board kind of thing with, with the NFL or does each team basically says, you know, I want to focus more on my Instagram account. And some teams would say, I want to focus more on my YouTube channel or whatever it is. Like, do they get to determine anything or is the league basically gets to dictate a lot of the stuff? So it really also depends what is important to leadership or ownership for that club. If you have um, one particular team and their owner really wants to focus on social media, that's going to be a priority for that digital and social team. And so that's where they're going to focus a lot of their resources and energies. As the NFL and as the league, we're kind of with the umbrella there where we will recommend what, what we see um, industry-wide and those trends that we would encourage or recommend that clubs follow, uh, but they're not mandated to follow those recommendations. Um, if they ask for our help and we provide uh, that kind of consultative support, again, doesn't mean they need to follow those recommendations, but we would highly recommend they do if we're going to spend our, our time um, expressing why that's something they should be focusing their time on. The second thing is different teams have a different level of access to players. They're not, that's not the same across the board. So some teams get creative in the types of content that they can create if they lack access to players. That all depends on the PR department and that all depends on the coach. So if you have a team that, that gives a digital uh, front office a lot more exposure to their players, they can create cool content across any of their properties, whether that's owned and operated property, so their website, their mobile app, um, mobile web, or anything on social media. Like you see clubs that don't have that same access need to still create original content a little more creatively, but with different resources. So let's say my team, Green Bay Packers, just signed a great player, a wide receiver. And they come to you to, uh, you know, get some ideas or brainstorm about, you know, the announcement. So that's the kind of stuff you do or is it deeper? Um, so we always say that you need to create um, content on platforms where your fans are consuming that content. So we look at some of the, like the, some of the trends from an analytical perspective and from an industry perspective and say, um, you're trying to reach, uh, let's say they're uh, 23 to 35 year old males, you know, wherever that demographic is consuming content might differ from still a Green Bay Packer fan, but a 14 to 18 year old male might be consuming their content on a different platform and a different type of content might perform better on that platform than it would a different one. So um, we, we do recommend a certain type of content from a best practices perspective. And then um, clubs would distribute that differently based on whatever platform they're creating the content for. So if, if Green Bay Packers have a lot of 14 year olds, they will 
you know, announce it on Instagram or some TikTok. I don't know. Um, exactly. They would, they would create content for a platform where their fans are consuming that content because if you think of it in this way, if there's a big announcement and any company, whether it's a club in the NFL or any brand, it, you want your message to get in front of your audience where they're consuming content. So if you don't consume content on Facebook and that's the only place they make their announcement, you're not going to see it or their fans that they want to see it aren't going to see it. So we help provide insight into where those different audience members, those different, different target audience people are consuming content um, and then would recommend that, Hey, a, a clip that's 30 seconds performs better on Instagram. Something that's more long form of, of at least 10 minutes would perform better on YouTube. Nobody's going to put a 10 minute, clip on Instagram and maybe even Facebook. So we help them tailor their content according to whatever platform they are going to be distributing the content and making sure it gets in front of the, their intended targeted audience. Uh, what are the rivalries like, you know, in the digital team media, you know, digital team medias around, you know, the right. NFL, do, do you get, do you get a lot of uh, banter between uh, teams? or I don't know, something worse than that? So internally, I think everyone really, like we're, we're coworkers, we're not competitors in that, in that way. And I think we try and share best practices. If we know that a club is doing something really, really well and it's resonated with their fans, it's had high engagement, uh, it's performed well enough for them to attach a sponsor to that series, we'll use them as an example and say, hey, this is what the Minnesota Vikings are doing and we have someone from the Vikings try and explain why they're doing it this way and why they've experienced success. Um, it, very rarely do we run into a, a situation where a member of that team wouldn't want to share that best practice with the other 31 because at the end of the day they're reaching, they're, they're not reaching the same audience. Minnesota Vikings are reaching the Minnesota Vikings fans and the Arizona Cardinals are reaching the Arizona Cardinals fans. So while rivalries exist on the field and with fans, um, internally, I think we're all trying at the end of the day to produce good content for our users and for our fans. Um, there, of course, will be some banter on the outside, like fan facing, like you see, there are some social media accounts that are a little bit more... Um, comical um, and, and they, they like to troll other, other clubs um, on social, but that's also going to be dictated by uh, PR and how the public relations teams uh, allow for the tone that a team takes on their social platforms to make sure that it remains consistent with their brand. Um, last season, I think uh, the NFL has a question also. <laughs> you want to say yeah, something? No, I Yeah, I have a question, and it's something that you actually mention a lot in your podcast, is that unlike other leagues, NFL have an issue with uh, people identifying the players because, you know, most, all players are wearing uh, the helmets. And, yes, they have the names on the back, but very few players are recognized off the, off the field. And when you're talking about social media and content, I mean, is it, is it making it harder for you to brand people when a lot of people won't even know what they look like per se, for, you know, for some of the players? So the NFL is a great question because the NFL has a department that is solely focused on player social and they work on helping players build out their brands um, while still 
coexisting, which I'm not sure if that's the best word, but, but while still uh, working hand in hand with teams because players can create different types of content to build their own brand, to support their own initiatives, things that are important to them. Um, and then clubs can amplify that content and then the league can also amplify that content. But it is a problem you see with the NFL, with um, hockey, uh, sports in which somebody's face is completely covered um, they have pads, they have, they have helmets, they have mouth guards, they have visors, different things where it makes the player harder to identify. Um, we have found that a lot of content that resonates well with the younger audience, we are used to um, off the helmet content and that's what excites us. I mean, perhaps like our parents, maybe our grandparents age, that type of content doesn't resonate as much with that demographic because they're not used to off the helmet content we're used to a lot of behind the scenes social media platform type content and um, we work on ways to help those players uh, build out their brands and then amplify it across all of our channels That's uh, last season I, th I think last season or the season before the NFL started showing highlights on Twitter mm -hmm. um, what did it do to the interactions and to the engagement with fans so on, I think on Twitter and in television ratings. I think, you know, with any sport, um, television and broadcast contracts are one of the biggest revenue drivers. So you have to be careful with that asset and how and where you distribute that, that type of content. So we always, the NFL protects um, that contract and the rights to that, type of footage um, for the broadcast partners. However, there are still ways to distribute that content across social platforms like Twitter and then drive tune in to other platforms. So sometimes there might be a snippet of a highlight, but then you're driving tune in back to that, the broadcaster. So the, whether it's like catch the game this Thursday on Fox, or if it's make sure you tune into the draft, if you want to see other content like this, there are ways for you to kind of tease the content and then drive back to a specific platform. Uh, and did you see an uptick in, in the television ratings? Maybe. Uh, because I wish that? I had that answer. <laughs> I wish I had that answer. I, I, I don't work in within that platform specifically, okay. but I know that when working across different um, stakeholders within the league, uh, it's important to still, again, maintain the integrity of those contracts and to drive tune in back to television. Yeah. So um, I want to ask you something. Um, I want to kind of zoom in on something that happened last week, and it's the, the move of Tom Brady. So obviously when, when Tom Brady decides he wants to go to Tampa Bay, they're automatically going to see rise in their social media, right? More people are going to start liking things because he's a big name. He's moving. Do you guys get, can prepare for something like that in advance? I mean, does the team tell you, listen, you know, we're probably going to sign a big name soon. We're going to need to increase our blah, blah, blah. I mean, is there any preparation or you're actually responding after a move like that is happening and kind of like, working with the team post move really coming in with all the hard questions thank you <laughs> um we uh, we do try and be as proactive as possible in as many situations as we can there are definitely instances where we're going to have to be reactive um but in in like a tom brady or a large free agency move situation we do usually have a little bit of notice help 
that team prepare. Um, they'll come to us and we'll help them prepare with uh, a variety of different content ideas. Um, in this situation, like you're having a really big name come to a really small market. So we try and identify different scenarios that they might be in. Um, it wasn't like for us, I'll tell you, I, I, I knew the, the final markets that he might be a candidate to go to, uh, didn't necessarily know is going to be Tampa until, um, a little bit before that announcement was made, but we would work with the markets that we knew were finalists to, right, that's a weird word to use, but like that we knew were uh, potentially going to land Tom Brady and work with them across what a content strategy might look like for them, what their announcement might look like. Uh, and given they've probably never been in that situation before, um, how should they handle the acquisition of a, of a really large star player in, in a market that might not be, um, as big as what he's used to playing in. Is it good for business that a big star comes to a small market? Or I think it's interesting. I, I, I think it's interesting. And like, I, look, I grew up a basketball fan. So I'll, I'll use the example with um, Russell Westbrook when, when he went to the Thunder, like everyone thought, wow, star power, big name, small market. Um, he went to Oklahoma city, which is not, the biggest market in the NBA. So I think it, if he can succeed there, if Tom Brady can, can bring some success to Tampa Bay, maybe it'll show a big, uh, it'll show big star players that they can go to small markets. I think it also creates really cool opportunities for the schedule. Um, and to look at, he's now, Tom Brady's going to, to play against um, uh, Drew Brees a couple times. Uh, they're going to play, he, he's in a different conference. So now he's going to play against certain people within his division that perhaps we wouldn't have seen that matchup in years before. Uh, so maybe that'll make the matchups a little more exciting. That'll create opportunities for uh, TV broadcasts to maybe bid on what the games will look like for them. Um, so I think that that creates unique opportunities and, and cool storylines. They're different different storylines than what we anticipated. Who knows what the year will bring, but there's never been a home market for the Super Bowl that's had their team play in the Super Bowl. So I know it's a stretch, I get it, but if Tom Brady can bring, and, and the Super Bowl's in Tampa Bay this year. So the storyline is, can, can Tom Brady bring uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the Super Bowl in the year that they're playing the Super Bowl in Tampa? Uh, that, that's a fun story that people, I think, will follow all year long if they experience success early on. Okay. Um, one question. The NBA controls Twitter. And, you know, it, it, it's, you know it's a lot stronger in, in social media, as it seems, from outside. Is there a rivalry between the NBA and the NFL or the NFL is just looking at it and saying, ah, it's those kids? I think, I mean, I'm sure all the leagues have different strategies um, for social. Uh, we have a, a partnership with Twitter that I certainly don't manage. Um, so I, I can't speak as much to what the strategy is there, but uh, we do, you know, we talked about um, sharing best practices across all 32 clubs. There are people that work at the NFL that also share best practices across other uh, leagues and, and the people that hold those positions at the NBA, at the NHL, at MLB. And they talk about similar things that they experience and different things that we, they experience. Because there are 
a, a lot of the same cases on Twitter that like the NBA and the NFL would have the same concerns or issues or problems or things that they see high performing content. So we share best practices. I wouldn't say that there's a rivalry. I think that the strategies and the approach they take are different. Um, okay. Um, Roy. So, yeah, I have a quick, I have a question for you, Sarah. I mean, obviously uh, we didn't say it in the beginning, but you and I uh, know each other. And I think when you first told me you work for the NFL, there's always like a wow factor, like, wow, yes. NFL, it's, it's a big deal. And I was wondering if you could maybe share uh, something uh, that an experience that you had while you were working there sure. that made you feel like, wow, I work for the NFL. This is cool. Maybe you met somebody, a player, sure. interaction. I prepared for this one. So uh, <laughs> slightly embarrassing, but I'll share it. I think, Rowie, I've told you this before. If not, you can be pleasantly surprised as well. But so I... Uh, had the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl um, a couple years ago. With the, the scope of my role, there are times that I go and then times that I actually work from the office. So this year, I worked the office, but the last three years, um, I had gone to the Super Bowl. We were in Minnesota. It's very cold. Um, as a side note, born and raised in Los Angeles, so not used to frigid temperatures. And it happened to be like negative six degrees while we were there. Really not, not that exciting of a time to spend outdoors. Um, but I took my dad with me because I figured it'd be kind of a once in a lifetime experience. And he loved it, enjoyed it. And we came across an opportunity to meet the commissioner. Um, well, my dad wanted to meet the commissioner a couple of times. He kept telling me when I'm gonna meet him, when I'm gonna meet him. And it doesn't always work that way. I'm not gonna walk up to him and say, hi, I'm Sarah Herman. I work in the digital offices in LA. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't shake out that way all the time. But we we were there for a week and every day my dad must have said the question to me like six or seven times and at some point I was like dad it's not gonna happen sorry but the Super Bowl happened we had an after party after uh, and we're eating and I was like dad please don't look right now but um, about two feet behind you was the commissioner and he was like where and of course he like turned around and embarrassed me and I was like well he's right there but like that's the closest you're gonna get to him I I don't like to be the center of attention in that way. And I didn't want to go up to him and be like, hi, my name is Sarah Herman, as I said. So of course my position changed rather quickly because my dad urged me to go up there. And if you, re if you, uh, if we go back a little bit, a couple months prior to that, uh, the commissioner had come to LA. He sat in our studio and he had a fireside chat with some of the digital, uh, the folks that work in our office. He talked about his family. He talked about how he got involved in the NFL and the topic of his, uh, his kids came up and he talked about the fact that he has twin girls that participate in fantasy football, not because their dad is the commissioner of the NFL, but because it helps him talk to boys. So everyone laughed about that and they have different teams that they enjoy that they, that they watch and they're avid fantasy football players. So Fast forward again, I was like, okay, if I'm going to go introduce myself to the commissioner, um, I am a triplet. I have two sisters. We're all same age, all born at the same time. Um, so my dad happens to be a father of multiple girls as well. So I figured that would be like my way to break in and have like a normal conversation with him. So I mustered up all the courage, walked over, tapped him on the shoulder, and he didn't feel it. So I was like, oh my God, now everyone's staring at me as I've tapped the commissioner on the shoulder with my dad standing behind me. So eventually, again, tapped him on the shoulder, turned around, and he was like, hi, how can I help you? So I, I introduced myself. Um, I don't get starstruck very easily, especially because of the nature of the industry that I work in. 
prior to working at the NFL, I worked in um, college sports as well. So I, I have met my fair share of people, but this is somebody that um, we look up to in, in our industry and that we look, looked up to in our office. And so I wanted to make a good impression. And so I, I introduced myself. I explained what I do. Um, we talked a little bit about that. And then I turned around and introduced him to my dad and said that it had resonated with me that commissioner has twin daughters. I am uh, a triplet. My, so my dad is a, a father of three girls. And so then the two of them proceeded to have a nice long 15, 20 minute conversation about how it's like to have uh, daughters, which then at some point I was ready to move on from the conversation, but he enjoyed that. It was a really nice way for me to kind of bond with my dad in that way. Um, I don't think he'll ever experience something like that again, but it was, it's a memory I'm sure will, will go down in history for me and, and I'll, I'll keep with me as, as long as I'm at the NFL and beyond. So hopefully that's a good story for you. Um, let's talk a bit coronavirus. Sure. Uh, how is the NFL preparing for this? So from what I'm privy to and can share, I'm happy to go through that. Uh, there are also other things that I don't know, and I don't think any of us know yet. Um, I, I, I think that right now like, we're fortunate to be in the off-season. Uh, there are certain things that we're still doing to prepare as if the season were to start as expected. So still going to have the draft and still um, working through some unique ways of, uh, you know, we can't have any scouts or coaches or potential players um, visit anywhere. So I, I, I'm unclear, to be honest, how they're conducting that. But I know that some of that is still going on, whether it's virtually or their scouts are finding creative ways to uh, scout players for their teams and identify where those gaps are that they need to fill for the draft. Uh, the draft will look different. Uh, I think that's an unprecedented thing that we're all going to experience and navigate together. It won't be a, a public event uh, the way it's been in the past. That decision was made weeks ago. Um, and then as this virus is evolving and as it changes the landscape that we currently live in, I think we're going to see changes in a month as well. Uh, but for now, the draft is going to proceed as planned. Uh, play, uh, teams still need to draft positions for their team so that they can hopefully start um, mini camp, training camp, preseason as expected. If they hold or pause on some of those events, they're going to get behind in their off-season schedule and then they won't be able to start on time. So at this point, um, the NFL, I think, was fortunate where like they they – didn't need to make those difficult decisions up front to postpone a season, to suspend a season, to cancel an event, um, especially because you see the implications from an economic perspective um, that I think will have a ripple effect with some of the uh, industries and some of the organizations that had to cancel or postpone events. But for now, um, the hope until we're advised or told differently um, is we're proceeding as, as planned just without as much uh, public interaction. Okay. Um, so how is, you know, personally, how is it going on right now? I mean, how the job... Okay, I thought it was a technical technique. We're going back now. I asked Sarah about what's going on with Corona. Sarah, so I'll, I'll, I'll repeat my, my question. So right now, how does the job look like? Sure. So all of us are working remotely. I've been working from home for 
I'm going to be entering my third week working from home. So from a personal standpoint, like it's an odd situation for me. I don't have a home office. So I'm sitting at my kitchen table right now with a setup. I have two screens, um, but I'm used to operating a little bit differently. And I interact with people on a daily basis that now we've resorted to Zoom calls, uh, conference calls, which is doable. At least it shows us that we can move forward with different meetings in the future that way. So maybe travel will change a little bit differently, but um, just the, the situation, I think we're all navigating through this process um, through these unprecedented times, but clubs, um, all of their staff are working remotely. Uh, our NFL films office is closed. Um, our studios are closed. So that changes the strategy and the way that live content is being produced. So at the moment, there is not really any live content um, unless some of our studio hosts have home like cameras set up, which they're starting to do and, and work through that process. But the post-production process is going to change a little bit. I don't think it's ever going to be live. You're going to need somebody like a, a PA um, that is going to need to do some post-production work to kind of put everything together and then put that uh, and program them out onto NFL Network. But for now, you're seeing a lot of throwback content, um, which you're seeing not just exclusively with the NFL, you're seeing that across all, all leagues and all organizations that have resorted to finding, um, you know, top 10 moments or uh, highlight certain Super Bowls. Um, I know the NFL, the NBA did this too, where they've opened up their subscription products to uh, a larger fan base uh, for free for a couple of weeks, whether that's international fans and domestic fans, um, have the ability to watch some of that content, but we're not, really producing anything live or original um, at the moment. And that changes the way uh, content strategies are, are crafted for some of our clubs. What kind of changes uh, do you see? Well, most creative ones. A, a lot of them have resorted to finding like top moments in their, in their history um, and kind of, kind of playing off of that and, tapping into big moments that they can help fans engage with. Um, this isn't an NFL example, but just from an NCAA like basketball example, uh, you've seen that uh, I, I read an article about a father that watched a really big, important game from the NCAA tournament um, that featured Duke. That was a really big game for him that, I think was 20, 25 years ago. And he watched it with his son who had no idea why it was such a big game for him and why it was so exciting, but he got to share that moment with his child um, and rewatch that. He of course knew what was going to happen. His son had no idea, but at least finding moments to engage with an avid sports fan that way. And um, I think we've spoken previously about this. If not, like we talked about the fact that like sports is an escape for a lot of people in, in moments of, of um, conflict or trouble. And right now, without live sports, it's really hard for people, myself included. I, I like to watch sports and live sports for an escape from reality. And without that ability right now, um, across the board, industry-wide, I think we have to be more creative in finding ways to um, create content that still engages fans um, in this moment of crisis. Oi, anything uh, you'd like to ask? Yeah, uh, Sarah, so... When I was uh, living in Israel, I was very fortunate to work in the sports industry as well. And I remember that I used to be at every Maccabi Tel Aviv home game um, doing stats and stuff like that. And it really changed the way I 
started to consume sports and specifically basketball because you're seeing it from a different angle. Does the fact that you work in NFL and and, and you're able to see all the behind the scenes stuff change the way you view the game? Are you still able to enjoy it as a fan, as, as just a regular person or sure. change for you? Um, I haven't watched a game as a fan in a really long time. Uh, for sure, last season, I don't think I may have attended one game as a fan. Um, I do travel a lot throughout the season, sit in the press box with whatever team I'm visiting. Um, oftentimes don't do work for them, but I will sit and observe as to how they are operating as a team for that game because all teams are, are staffed a little bit differently. Um, so I have now seen the behind the scenes uh, business side of it. Um, I know when, uh, you know, broadcasters or like uh, the the PA announcer at a stadium when they can be making an announcement, when they can be talking, when there can be noise, when there can be music, when things need to stop. Um, so that uh, depending on if it's the home team or the away or the visiting team that has the ball. Uh, so there are certain rules that now I pay a little bit more attention to. So as a fan, I know when like they're doing it right, when they're doing it wrong. Um, but when I am working, the game goes by so quickly that I'll, I will be there, look down, look back up, and it's like middle of the third quarter, and I didn't even know when that happened. But uh, So I, I do look at the, the game a little bit more um, analytically and from the business side, where sometimes that, that um, would ruin it for someone that might be an avid fan of a team. I myself don't have a specific team that I root for because I was born and raised in LA and we didn't have a team when I was growing up. But uh, this year for the Super Bowl, I, I have a colleague that's a diehard um, 49ers fan. It was really, really hard for him to watch the game um, as a fan and then also as an employee um, and understand like what the implications would be based on what team won or lost. So, How many fans of a certain team work for that certain team? Um, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think I've come across probably every single person that I work with, whether they're at the league or at the team is a fan of football. I don't know if every single individual that works for a specific club is a fan of that team, depending, like if you want to work in the sports industry and you have an opportunity to work in digital, um, at, you know, the 49ers, but you happen to be a Broncos fan, like, I think you're still going to take the job so you can work in the industry and get yeah. that experience. Um, I think that those that are successful in this industry are able to separate the fact that they're a, a, an avid fan of the game um, and then work in the industry. Uh, I think, once again, like, you, if you are an avid, avid uh, fan of that team, if you're an avid 49ers fan and you're in the Super Bowl, you need to find a way to separate the fact that like you want them to win so badly as a fan because uh, I under like I'm a Lakers fan. I loved when they won championships. Like that was like made my year. But if you work for that team, you also have to understand like, well, this is I'm putting my employee hat on versus like my fan hat. And then understanding how to separate the two. But I think everyone in general would be a sports fan and an NFL fan or football fan. Okay, let's talk about, you know, the sports business as a whole. Um, I mean, the impact of this virus is going to be huge. Um, what do you think is going to happen right now? Honestly, I think it's difficult to say what the long-term impacts are going to be just because 
I don't think anyone really knows when things are going to return back to normal. Um, I think that the extent of this disruption to the sports industry will depend on when things go back to normal and the types of content that this industry is going to be able to produce and where you can distribute it. Um, I think that, you know, there have been so many different scenarios that have been thrown around of playing in empty stadiums. You know, that changes things because, well, that, Will that change the allure of the game to TV broadcasters because you don't have any fans there? Which, quite frankly, I think all three of us would know and probably uh, uh, viewers of this podcast would agree that like fans are uh, a big factor in these games. Like They fuel the players. There's energy there that really changes the dynamic of a game, you know, if the home crowd is in it. Um, and I think that... Uh, that will ultimately change the way competition is played. If players are excited for the game or if it seems like a, you know, locked gym scrimmage, um, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, uh, an empty stadium, I think will really change the dynamic of what the game looks like. But you also have longer lasting implications. Like you have empty um, parking lots. Uh, you you aren't having any concessions or merchandise that are being sold. You have people that are losing their jobs who work at those arenas. Um, you have seen people step up to the plate for now, um, whether it's players, coaches, owners that have pledged parts of their own salaries to cover those um, employees that have suffered pay cuts. Um, but I, I think that... Shout out to the, Drew Brees. Shout out to Drew Brees. Yeah, that was great. And, and then there are a number of others um, across the, the NFL and, and other sports uh, organizations as well um, that have pledged the same. To It's a large issue that has long-lasting implications from an economic perspective but that I don't even think we realize that yet. And um, I was reading an article about the NBA the other day that when they did opt to postpone or suspend the season, they still had 259 games left. When you crunch the numbers and do the math, that's 21% of their season that was still left of games to be played. And that's without the playoffs. 21% of a season, that's huge. And, and that, there's a lot of revenue at stake that has long-term effects. And then you look at, at um, industry or organizations like baseball um, that has no return date in sight and hasn't played one game yet. Or you have hockey that was in the middle of their season. You have the NFL that hasn't started yet. Um, and I think from a ticketing perspective, like I don't know what, what they use um, in Israel or if it's the same thing, but like we have Ticketmaster here, uh, we have SeatGeek here, and, and, and those types of ticketing platforms are faced with a situation where are people buying tickets because they don't know if the event is actually going to go on? When are they refunded? Are you refunded when the event is actually canceled or are you refunded the moment a game is suspended or postponed? And I think there are a lot of like long, long-term effects that we can't even envision at this point until we know when things return back to normal and then what that new normal looks like. I, I think it's going to be hard to have hundreds of thousands of people in stadiums um, until people uh, from a safety and like health protocol perspective um, can be in crowds at that level. Mm. And it's interesting you say that, sir, because I think um, when you look at all the other leagues right now, everybody had to kind of respond to the situation as it was going on. And the NFL is the only one that is in a position that they're in off season and they can really plan ahead mm-hmm. of how they want to you know, handle this next season. So the question is, do you think that they would consider, you know, playing in front of, uh, empty stadiums just to keep the product going and not 
quote unquote waste a season. And, you know, like MLB, NBA, MLS, everybody had to just kind of cancel and you're in a position where you have to react. NFL can really initiate something. So what do you think from your for my sake, just from how much you know the league, you know, you know the yeah. league, uh, you work there and how much innovative mm-hmm. you think they will get to really have a product, you know, done when it's opening day and September 10th, 2020. Um, I mean, look, for my sake and for my job, I do hope that the season continues because there'll be a lot of implications that way if it doesn't. Um, and I think that's also why, again, we're operating in this off season um, with some of the the off-season events and and schedules that we need to adhere to, hoping that you are going to have training camp, that we are going to have preseason, and then ultimately the season. I don't know what a shortened season would look like. I don't know what a – like. We still have to have the Super Bowl. Like the, I don't, I don't think that's something that can be postponed um, or changed. And so, if you have a different amount of games or you start the season too late, um, from a scheduling perspective, like there are committees and people that are focused on that. Um, that I'm not privy to at the moment, but there are a lot of key stakeholders that are huddled up and trying to figure out the best way to proceed. Um, while also from like a brand and PR perspective, like while there's a worldwide crisis um those individuals at the nfl and any other sports organization also want to make sure that they um don't look foolish in the eyes of the rest of the world while we're dealing with while we are dealing with the crisis to say like we're going to still have football or we're going to still have basketball because there's other things that are top of mind for people right now even while this is a type of um live content that fans are craving like you still need to be respectful of what's going on in the world um but from a from a revenue perspective and what those long lasting like ripple effects will be industry-wide i think uh, i think and i hope that sports do continue um and that the nfl can help through that process um today i've published an article that showed that um English football, not American football, the real football, um, okay. you know, through the World War One and World War Two, basically uh, has gotten stronger. And, you know, it was a sign and a symbol of normality. Um, we are in a kind of a world war situation. Like sure. everyone are affected by it. Um, what are the chances of the big leagues, um, you know, sharing the toll of, you know, uh, entertaining the people at home? Because you have so many people at home that, you know, that basically they're going crazy and they so- need that sport. So, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, the government will subsidize anyone in, in America, but, you know, the NBA could be very important for the health and security of a lot of Americans right now. I, I think the, the second part of that equation, though, is like the people that are playing the game, they're also people that might have concerns about playing that game with other individuals that could potentially have the virus could potentially contract the virus. Like, can you imagine we've already seen what what's happened when, when 
And there have been individuals across all of the leagues that have contracted coronavirus and, and what's that, what that's done to other members of their own team. Um, and I, I think that's a big concern that like, let's say there are leagues that say, okay, we are going to play this game. We, h- how do you force somebody to go into that locker room and share what precautions do you take across all of the members of the team? Who's an essential worker? Who's an essential player? Who needs to be in that locker room to make sure people feel safe to then go and share a football, share a basketball sweat and like have, you know, bodily body contact with other individuals that have, that could potentially be exposed to the virus. So I think that's something that a lot of, uh, organizations are considering before, like, of course we all crave live content and create, crave those games to be back. Like I, I've said multiple times on this podcast, like I'm a huge sports fan. I'll watch any sport and, and hope that I can consume live sports at some point soon, because that'll help me feel like things are maybe going back to normal. But I don't know if I'd feel really safe if somebody told me I'd go and play a game right now. And like, as a former athlete, like I no longer play anything cause I'm, five feet tall. I don't know how many meters that is, but not, not a tall individual. So I don't play professionally and I didn't play in college either, but had I been told like, Hey, you're going to play in front of an empty stadium. We'll have music to make sure that like, there's still some type of energy in the building, but we're going to play these games. We're going to broadcast it because people want sports. I don't know how I'd feel about that as, as a player until I knew for a fact that every single person was isolated, clear and clean. And I wasn't playing with someone that may have been exposed to the virus. So I think that's an added dimension. Um, I partially forgot your question, but, but I was going to say like, I, I think that like this pandemic that is really spread throughout our world has really caused one of the most significant, if not the most significant disruptions to the sports industry. And it's worldwide. Like it's not just a problem in the U S like it's a problem that we see across sports leagues in Europe. I'm sure the same in Israel. And um, when we see like to, to varying degrees that the sports industry has taken these unprecedented steps, it, probably the first time since world war two, that, that the world has come to a complete halt. Um, and, and the sports industry is included in that, but I think there are so many unknowns um, in this scenario that I don't know when it goes back to normal and what that normal looks like for people. And I hope it does, but I, I don't know what that looks like. Boy, so. I have to agree, uh, you know, with what Sarah is saying. I think as somebody that lives here and been following uh, American sports for a long time, not just since I moved to the United States, um, it feels like everybody understands that this is bigger than, than sports and uh, you just cannot go back until you can absolutely guarantee everybody's safety and health uh, because no one's going to no one's going to take that chance. And um, I think what the leagues have demonstrated until now that they're not waiting for the administration to take the decision for them. They're just going to make it very clear. There's no games. We're not playing. We're not putting our employees and our players and our product, which is the, the league at risk. It's not worth it. So I think they're taking um, a short term loss for a long term gain in that sense. I also think like where we, when you when you speak to that like there are still ways that uh, sports organizations can come out with positive stories during this crisis so um, I do a lot of reading and you can see like Formula One they have their engineers that usually work on um, cars they're they're using those engineers and, and that skill set to build ventilators or like you see we've we've talked about the athletes and the owners and the coaches that are pledging 
some of their own salaries to cover the, the pay cuts of employees that have suffered job losses throughout that process. Or you see stadium parking lots right now are being transformed into drive-through testing uh, zones for coronavirus. And so while we can still create positive stories through this, it's not the live sport and it's not the content that I think many of us are craving um, to fill that gap and that that escapism that we are looking for, there are still ways for uh, for for content creators in, in this situation to spin it into a positive story to show like um, I think fanatics or uh, other um, uh, merchandise companies instead of creating um, a lot of new jerseys, they're using that material to to help with masks and and other. PPE equipment for nurses on the front line. And so I think everyone's getting creative, but like that type of messaging also um, brands want to be really careful with the type of messaging that they're putting out there because those long lasting messages will impact how people view their brand moving forward. When this crisis is over, whether it's a couple months, um, hopefully not a couple years, but you know, whatever this looks like when things do return back to normal, people will remember the position and the messaging that big brands took. And I think the NFL 32 clubs and any other brand across the sports industry is taking note of that to make sure that the position they take is one that their fans will welcome in the coming months. And so taking that type, like the, the, it's an ugly world out there right now, but trying to kind of shift the messaging to something a little more positive and telling those stories hopefully help. So, me and Roy, we, we fantasized about, you know, having uh, games in like a remote area, like mm-hmm. playoff games or all-star games or whatever, just for live content because really people need it to go through their day, which is, yeah. you know, quite boring right now. Um, I mean, I, I can't see it going on right now because, you know, there's so many deaths and, and horrible things going on. But like in two months' time, it's not the safest outside, but the NBA or the NFL or any league can create safe space, like in a remote place. Could this, could this you know, be something realistic or is it just complete fantasy? Um, I think I'm right there with you where I, I would hope that if there were a way to create this live content and an experience for fans to consume, that I'm sure every league out there is taking those scenarios into consideration and they're brainstorming probably together, to be honest. Like we talked about sharing best practices. I would imagine that the key executives across all of the leagues are having these conversations together. While the scenarios might be different across what they'd be able to do, like I don't know if you can take all of baseball and put it in some remote island somewhere that hasn't been impacted by Corona and have everyone play a full season there. But I'm sure that there are sports that can do that. And if they can, they would try. Um, I think that goes back to still being sensitive to what's going on in the world and what message you want to put out there um, to make sure that while people are still craving this content, like look sports for me, the reason why I've, loved this industry and love sports is like it it connects communities it brings people together it doesn't matter 
who you are, what, what your race is, what your religion is, what your economic background is. It brings the community together and you root for the same team or you root for the sport or you're a fan of the industry, whatever it is. And I think that that's a huge loss for people right now. And, and if there are ways to uh, fill that gap, I think anyone would do it. It's just a matter of making sure that those health precautions are considered um, and that you're still sensitive to what's going on in the world so that it doesn't sound like, hey, we're picking up our game as usual. We're going to conduct our business as usual. Every other industry in this world is suffering, but we're going to play this game. So I think that the messaging and the positioning needs to be um, spot on and just really uh, carefully considered. Okay, we're, we're going to bring it home right now. Um, what are the personal lessons for you uh, during this horrible time around the world and in the sports industry? Um, it's put a lot into perspective for me, a lot. Um, I have taken time to to make sure that like I become a better person out of this. Like I know that sounds a little cheesy, but once this, this ends, like I, I want to make sure that I've been as productive as possible to be a better version of Sarah Herman. Once this ends, I think that um, we all learn whether it's in our own personal lives, in, in business, in the sports industry, like you learn coping skills very quickly, like whether you needed to be proactive about it or reactive about it. Um, if you don't possess coping skills, you're not going to survive this mentally um, at all. Like wellness is important. And I think that that's something that we can listen to every message out there that any professional athlete or, or influencer out there has, has put out there into the media on social media, but all of them are saying like, you need to take time for yourself. You need to make sure you're doing well mentally um, and you need to focus on staying home, staying safe, staying healthy. Um, but from from this, like I, I, uh, from a personal level, like, um, I'm going to practice my Hebrew. So like I said, we're going to have this podcast in a year and it'll be in Hebrew and it'll be good. But there are just other things that I'm, I'm putting into perspective and, and, um, trying to not be as petty in my normal life, I guess, uh, once this come, uh, comes back to a level of normalcy and then just finding ways to, um, help and support anyone out there the best way that I can, even if I'm removed and isolated from it. So I, I, I would imagine the same is, is for you two or, or any of your, your listeners or viewers and, and anyone else out there as well. And, and how about those Lakers? Oh, Lakers. I'm sad because uh, I think this was our year um, and, and unclear. Uh, so like what you, this, you always think it's your year. I mean, Lakers. Yeah, this was uh, our year. <laughs> um, I grew up uh, watching like the, the three people seasons for the Lakers um I was a diehard fan that was uh, basketball was my first love before I started working in the sports industry um and like my room was like you probably think I was a boy if you walked into my room because it was full of Laker paraphernalia and and, and different things like that but um so been an avid fan and I think this really was our year um it, on paper they looked fantastic and in person they looked fantastic uh I was telling Roe like um my dad actually has uh, season tickets right behind the Laker bench. So I went to one game this year, um, a really fun experience, and, and uh, was hoping to go. I, I had tickets to the Rockets-Lakers uh, game um, on the Thursday 
after the season was suspended. So the season was postponed on a Wednesday. The game was on Thursday, so obviously didn't go. Um, but I think that that was like, – this is their year. So if there's any way to resume play at a later date, um, whether the playoff model looks different, whether they like finish the remaining 20% of their season that they have left, uh, I, I don't know what their playoff model will look like, but maybe there's a way to um, just crown them the champions. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be a classic that would be a classic Laker uh, ending they don't no yeah, they, I refuse they, that we're yeah. just going to give him the championship they, they, I refuse they, to have an asterisk by our name for this uh, for this season but um, I really like, Le, like LeBron needs another controversy the, 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 the Lakers fans still count the Minneapolis titles Come on. Um, yes, of course. The Lakers are a brand, regardless uh, of what city they play in. Um, the brand of the, the Lakers organization, sure, yes, they count the Minneapolis uh, um, championships to their record. But wait, we, I know, I know uh, Rowie is a Rockets fan, but who is your team? I'm a Celtics And you're a Packers fan. fan, I know that. But you're a Celtics fan, oh. Wow. wow, we have that rivalry we didn't even talk about. <laughs> uh, uh, we could have beaten you in the finals after sweeping Milwaukee. But we'll I'll never let know. You, I'll let you have that thought. In only, your only if Yanis is quarantined in, in Greece. <laughs> um, okay, guys. Um, do, do you remember that Kobe Bryant died this this year this season it so looks... fun, well fun fact actually it's not really a fun fact but Rowie and i were together um in the same place we were we were both in in new york for uh, a retreat that we were both going to um when we heard the news about kobe i was devastated um yeah. i think we've all spoken to the fact that like we've grown up with sports like he he was a big part of my childhood. Um, I was devastated, but at least from a personal perspective, it was, was uh, happy to be with um, a friend or two when that happened so that I could kind of commiserate in that devastation with somebody else because I was also with people that didn't really understand the, the scope of what had happened and why that was so impactful. Um, and, and it was hard for me. It took me a really long time and I still don't think I understand that that's happened. It's only been two months. Um, I actually went to the Staples Center, uh, and I want to say like two days after it happened, I went to uh, see some of the different uh, paraphernalia and, and memorials that had been set up around the Staples Center. It was really moving, and I think helped give me a little bit of closure. Um, it was I was devastated, though, and I can't believe, you're right, that that was two months ago, and our world looks very different now than it looked then, and, and it will look different next week and the week after, and um, I think 2020 has been a stressful year for everybody and it's really changed the landscape of what sports has looked like um but like i, I would imagine really would think that i don't want to speak for you but I, I i think that it's you know ironic that um we at least experience that devastation at the same time uh but i can't believe it happened just a couple months ago yeah yeah it was uh, an unbelievable thing and actually we were uh we were driving back from the retreat and i was sitting next to my brother that i was also on the retreat and actually the, the driver was the first person that said something. He like almost had an accident and said, Kobe Bryant just died. And my brother and I were just looking at each other. It was like, what is he talking about? And then, you know, once you start getting the notifications, I look back at you and then 
uh, we were just like, we didn't even have to say anything. I think we just looked at each other's eyes and we knew that yeah. this is going to be something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Um, but, you know, to, to go back to the point you were talking about before, I mean, I, I think I really love the fact that there's so many people in Israel that really take interest in the NFL. And I think uh, Israel is definitely, as much as it is a small place, it's definitely a good market. They actually even started, I think, right, Real, there's a, there's a league that they play. Yeah, it's like it, the football it, league, and it started a few years ago. But yeah, there's a league, and yeah. uh, Robert Kraft is is sponsoring it. Yeah, he he built the uh, the field in Jerusalem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always believe that sports can bring people together and unify them. And uh, you know, I think what we're seeing now is because you don't have uh, live sports so much, you have to come up with creative ways uh, to still get connected to the people and the players and the teams and. I think that's where your job gets to be a lot, a lot more creative and a lot more challenging, you know, because everybody's so fixated on the actual sport, but, you know, you're trying to find the personal stories and the personal touches behind it now until this all comes back to normal. You know, when you think about a, a football player's careers on average, like around three years, and they can't afford to miss, you know, too many seasons. It's, uh, and, and the way they're contracted are and the way everything is built. So I think they're going to be uh, finding a way to make sure we do see games in the future. And the NBA season, we'll have to figure out how they're finishing everything out as well. And there's just so many questions out there. But it's like they say, it's above our pay, pay grade to, to answer these. <laughs> yeah. well, they also have to find ways to stay in shape because um, with baseball, they were saying if that does come back, they – a lot of the players want at least a month to have another training camp or to have some exhibition games. Like you can't just say, okay, baseball's back. Let's play. You also can't just say, okay, basketball's back. Let's, let's play again. Like every player, um, those that have been in the media and those that, that have shown their home gym situations and ways to stay in shape, like are doing that. But I'm, I'm not so sure everyone has the same luxury to have their own home gym set up and then, um, make sure that they're in proper shape to resume play again. So I, I think that'll be a factor as well. Yeah, um, a lot of uh, a lot of changes are go- are are on a, on the way. Okay, any famous uh, last words for this podcast? Any famous last words? Um, I hope we return back to normal soon. Um, because sports is a, a big part of a lot of people's lives. Uh, and hopefully some way, shape or form that escape can, can, can come back for those fans and, and whatever content is created can kind of fill that gap that a lot of people are, are missing right now. Um, and hope that everyone continues to stay safe and healthy. That's really what matters. Um, and whatever long lasting economic factors exist because they do and they will they will exist out there that um at the end of the day we all stay safe and healthy and um we'll, we'll get through this i would just say that uh, i think uh this was the year of the rockets uh so we got <laughs> robbed here okay <laughs> clearly clearly the small ball you know this new invention uh that came upon us the world is not ready for it so we're gonna postpone it until everything is back and james uh, Harden and russell westwick will learn how to play together better Daryl Morey is working now on the virus ball. It's really microscopic. It's really, really small. And all the players are under one feet. That's the big revolution right now. 
Or maybe he's going to take the rockets to play in China because he's uh, such good <laughs> friends with. Uh, Let's not touch that one. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, this was the Lakers year, the Rockets year, and the Celtics year. So uh, I guess it was everyone's year and everyone got robbed. So it's true. Yeah, yeah. 2020. Okay, guys. Uh, I'm going to say uh, goodbye to you for, you know, uh, and I know. I mean, it was a great discussion, I think. We mm-hmm. had a good time. Uh, keep safe, keep healthy. Chavarim, אנחנו סיימנו את הפודקאסט הזה, יוחד עם שרה הרמן, מנהלת השיווק הדיגיטלי של ה-NFL, ורועי שושן, החבר מאטלנטה, חבר הפוד מאטלנטה. תישארו בבית. תנסו להאזין לנו, תגידו לאחרים שיאזינו לנו גם כן, זה חשוב עדיין. ותודה רבה לרועי, Thank you very much, Sarah. תודה לך, מאזין יקר, שנשאר עד הסוף. יאללה, ביי.